0: My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Payne's Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading this morning comes from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended in the same one is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children the Holy Gospel, according to St. John, the sixth chapter. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Let me start by speaking the truth in love to you. Imagine if that one friend you have, you know the one, called you out of the blue and said (laughs) something like that. Oh, my dear friend, I feel I must just speak the truth to you in love. God is calling me to do it. If you haven't experienced it firsthand, you may not have felt that cringe roll from your ears down your spine and settle in your gut. <laughs> it's not a super common expression in our Lutheran circles, but it's not at all uncommon in some other uh traditions here that our sisters and brothers in Christ follow here in America. And particularly the American evangelical tradition. And it's biblical language. It comes here from Ephesians, which is a, a later letter, and by the time we get to Ephesians, the church is wrestling with questions about the holy catholic church of the apostles creed like how are all of us together going to progress maybe half a little more than half of the new testament epistles are dealing with a specific issue at a specific church but what remains including ephesians wrestles with these oh more general universal questions because they're uh, looking around they see some people are risking their lives and livelihood to follow christ many are enduring social hardships they're alienated from friends and family It's no small task in that day and age to do what is right, to follow God, and to have a meaningful life all at the same time, no matter what your congregation is going through. And it's here that we find that expression, and we get hints of a model like this, to speak the truth and love. And I'm making a bit of a joke about it, because while some, I'm sure, are very earnest and, you know, use the expression well— To be frank, there are some, and you may have experienced it, where people use this idea to cover their conscience when they're really just being kind of nosy or invasive or a jerk. Like, I'm going to tell you why I disagree with you and why I think you're living contrary to the Bible. Uh, And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you all this, because if I don't, or if you don't listen, you may well just end up going to hell. I mean, that's the sentiment that some people have. Me getting into your business is now a matter of love. Agreeing to disagree would be a failure to love, and accepting that there's any chance that I might be wrong, (laughs) and you might be right, would be a failure to love you. So sometimes it's used in a not-so-good way, but, you know, Jesus speaks the harsh truth in love to the crowds. He here we've finally got that accusation that I keep clunkily referencing and even butchering. He tells them some of them are there because they ate their fill. Some of them don't care to know the truth, to draw closer to God, to make the kind of, oh, world-changing, kingdom-ushering commitment it's going to take to make this Jesus movement really have some legs. But the signs won't carry on forever, uh, not like they have, and the hunger will return as quickly as it went. If They don't accept that reality and go deeper than such practicalities, like, well, there's bread there if we follow Jesus. They're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the big stuff, like believing in the one whom God the Father sent, Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. See, in the Gospel of John, that's the work. That's what faith means. If that part isn't sorted out, nothing else that follows can last. We need that foundation. So we can see, then, how someone might just think they're following Jesus' example when they tell you that you got to get right with Jesus. So let's get back to that surprise phone call, but I want to shift a little bit on it. We don't necessarily have to use that language, speaking the truth in love. We can just imagine somebody who's well-intentioned, they're motivated by their love of Christ, they're concerned for you, they wish to show you love, and they feel that maybe your life's a bit out of order, and they can't just not tell you. The fact is, I've made and received more of those phone calls in the last year and a half than I have in my entire life. (laughs) It's church members, it's friends, it's family. Something happened that affected our day-to-day lives and moved almost all of us to have a strong opinion. (laughs) Even people who used to be mostly reserved and usually wouldn't share their opinion, and because we're dealing with public large-scale things, they're the kind of opinions that by definition, insists that it would be nice if others agreed. So, of course, I haven't been too shy, and you all know where I stand broadly on this kind of stuff when it comes to mitigations, masks, vaccines, and all the rest. You know, that was the thing I was referring to a moment ago that started a year and a half ago. In my opinion, we should filter out the politicking. Politicians are always campaigning. We've got to be suspicious of that. Any candidate who claims that they or their party platform will save you while the other will condemn you, they're, they're misleading you, they're pulling the wool over your eyes, only Christ does the saving. Media wants you to tune in, and social media wants you to like and to share, so we have to filter out some of that too. As it is, the most attention-grabbing, fear-mongering headlines rise to the top, whether they want you afraid that you'll lose someone. Lose your own health, your own livelihood, or lose your freedom and your culture, or lose the economic well-being of our community and country. These venues, these folks, they know what sells, and they know a lot of people are buying. The product is often fear. So I come at this where I try to be more data-driven and not worried about fear. Instead, worry about pragmatism, practical implications. And I'm going to give a quick example to illustrate this. Uh, Let me just say, I know some people would prefer that the pastor never speak to hot-button issues in or out of church or anything that's been politicized, but two things. One, at the rate at which we're politicizing nearly everything, I'm going to run out of things to talk about. And two, connecting the gospel or the scriptures as a whole to the issues of our day is quite literally what preachers are called to do. So I'll keep the example quick. Recently, there was a a survey of Georgia school districts, some that required masks as compared to some that made it optional. And what they found is very similar to what study after study have found. There was about 40% fewer cases among the adults who were required to wear masks. And for kids, the impact was about half of that. I'll say that the reason that's to be expected is because uh, when there's broad... uh, Use It's about a 45% reduction historically, and of course when you make it optional, some will, some won't, so a little less than 40 is probably going to be the difference. So anyway, the point of all that is someone somewhere is having a mature, well-reasoned debate about how that will affect their decisions going forward, I hope. But in hindsight, it means that certain districts, especially rural districts like our own, got more in-person learning done with these things, with masks, than they would have without. If it had been optional last year, districts that kept quarantine procedures would have spent even more of the year on remote, if not nearly all of it. I suspect ours and some others like ours, it would have been nearly all. Now, that's not fear, and I'm not suggesting anyone would have died. And that's not to say that mass didn't have some drawback that might have inhibited certain children's learning or that certain students with certain conditions might have really had a hard time with it. Those can still be true. It's also not a rock-solid claim on what we ought to do going forward. See, I'm safely dwelling in the past. (laughs) Just cold, hard, practical implications for our community that masks kept our kids in the classroom more and their parents were at work more, which was probably the best we could have hoped for at the time. So now today, the data suggests things like the longer it's been since I've been vaccinated, the more likely I am to catch, carry and spread this virus, even though I'm still very well Protected, And at the same time, a variant that spreads considerably faster and is more dangerous, especially for unvaccinated individuals, is taking over, has taken over. So today, masks are likely to help us protect some of our neighbors. Jesus told me to pick up a cross for the sake of my neighbors, so I'm grateful just to pick up a piece of cloth yeah, for now. As long as the people who know better than we do ask us to, I will insist that we, when we congregate inside, do as we are asked. And I can handle those phone calls in love. (laughs) But just know that when this round of phone calls comes, I will be saying just about the same thing that you just heard. And disagreement is perfectly fine, especially when there's mutual respect. And let's be honest, this too will pass. And it also warrants mentioning that now, more than ever, there is no decision that I or we can make that will, in turn, make everyone happy. And to say that, from what I can tell, this congregation is considerably above average at being able to respectfully disagree. And you all have been very patient and understanding, and I cannot thank you enough for that. We've done very well over the last year. We're going to make it through this thing. Even the most frustrated phone calls have been pretty respectful. And you compare that to some of the horror stories I've heard, and we've got every reason to be grateful for one another. But before we're done this morning, I want to touch real quickly on two things that are not perfectly fine. (laughs) So much so, I'm even considering the word abhorrent. And I'm seeing them more and more. One, reveling in others misery, like rejoicing that someone whose decisions, medical masks, vaccines, political decisions, someone whose decisions were different than yours over the last 18 months is now uh, sick, suffering, or dying. That's not the kind of thing to be celebrating. And I've seen this cutting both ways, you know, as far as it's a two-sided issue. We cannot, in good conscience, call that loving Our neighbor. The proper response to suffering, whether we feel like they brought it on themselves or what have you, the proper response to that is compassion for them and their family, not celebration, not joy. Two, another thing that's simply not okay is claiming that someone's faith, salvation, or relationship with God is at stake because of the decisions they are making. We are woefully fallen, broken people doing the best we can in a sinful world god loves us and saves us anyway that hasn't changed the worst offense imaginable like say crucifying the son of god that wasn't enough to drive the love of god away why would something like this why would a mask or a vaccine or lack thereof drive the love of god away it 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 can't We know that we can be sure of our own salvation and that for others, it's entirely between them and God. Could a pandemic change that? Absolutely not. So that kind of sentiment, especially even if it's the truth in love, that kind of sentiment is not okay. Finally this morning, the reason why. There is a through line here. (laughs) Why poke fun at the speaking the truth in love idea? or bring up the pandemic during church, or highlight unacceptable behavior or attitudes. Because these are real-world examples of how we so often fail to read the whole text. Ephesians doesn't say, speak the truth in love and then walk away. Ephesians doesn't say, come out swinging, wielding the truth like a weapon, and regardless of who gets hurt. Instead, The culmination of speaking the truth in love, well, here we've got another two points. The culmination is twofold. First, that we are not swayed by trickery and changing doctrines. Our principles, our values, the gospel, the sort of things that are meant to motivate our day-to-day decisions, those do not change. The circumstances change. And the circumstances have changed rather drastically, sometimes rather quickly. And when circumstances change, how those values manifest can change too. But we cling to the same doctrines. We cling to the same God, the same gospel, the same call to love God and neighbor and enemy alike. Regardless, even if we disagree on some of the details, that has to be the motivation of the church and its members that we keep anchored, we keep our foundation second the point of this combination truth and love is to build up the body of christ it's to promote unity if you're really concerned about someone's salvation or their decisions work with them work on that relationship show them that your way of doing things draws you closer to god or has some other benefit ask them for their reasons for doing the things they do and then actually listen be willing to change your mind too. You can't ask them to maybe change their mind if you're not willing to as well. Telling a baptized believing Christian that they're going to hell over one opinion or decision, it's not only wrong factually and morally, it's just not going to work. At best, it will drive them away, and at worst, it makes a mockery of the gospel. As if to claim the eternal, infinite, immeasurable grace of God is just big enough to cover me and my sins, but not quite big enough to cover yours. See, that's the line. (laughs) It's right there, just past me. some way halfway through your life and your decisions. (laughs) I'm laughing because it's just... It's not funny, but it's just that level of... I don't know, ridiculous. The actual authentic gospel creates unity. It's the acknowledgement that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and we have found one in Jesus Christ, and therefore we follow Jesus' teaching and examples. We can debate how to love God and neighbor, but we won't stop doing either, and nothing will ever stop the love God has for us. Nothing. No decision you make no opinion you'll hold, no hotly debated topic of the day will ever stop the love of God. That's the truth spoken in love. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, Whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.